Good morning. Uh, you just remain standing. Margaret's dad was the youngest of uh, four kids, quite a bit younger, actually. And um, when the kids would get into it with one another, as I'm told kids do, as, a, as an only child, I never got into it myself. But, uh, but when kids get into it with one another, um, apparently this was uh, little Jack's favorite scripture verse. And he would quote it to his brothers and sisters. Let's read it together. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's so good. Can you imagine how an eight-year-old brother would feel about a four-year-old little brother telling them this verse of Scripture? Probably about the same way that some of us feel about it when God tries to remind us. Why don't we read it one more time? Let's, let's do that. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life and the power that are in your word. I pray that you would visit us today with that life and, and, and with that, that power. May our hearts be soft to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Continuing the series about a better life, and there are very few things that uh, impact our lives and the quality of our lives more than relationships, uh, the relationships that we, uh, that we have. Uh, I am not an island. No man is an island. Um, in Genesis uh, chapter 2, God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. And we uh, rightly in the context apply that to marriage because that's that's the context in which it's talking about there. Uh, but I believe there's a wider context to it as well. It's not good. It's not good to be alone. Now, I'm not talking about it's not good to have solitude. Sometimes you need solitude. Uh, sometimes you need some time to just go be by yourself and do whatever it is you need to do. But, uh, but that's not the same thing as being alone. God is a triune God. And while I cannot explain the Trinity, I know this, from, from eternity, he has existed in community. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And if God has always existed in community, and if we're created in his image to be like him, we're created to be in community. We're, we are created to be in relationship with, with other people. Um, there's actually three parts to this sermon, and I've got like three things in each part. It's a beautifully crafted sermon. So, I, you know, I, I, I hope that y'all appreciate this today. Uh, but in this, in, this, in this passage, in this part here, uh, there are at least three ways. There are more, but there are at least three ways that we, we need other people. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. How many of you have ever been sharpened by somebody? 
Ever had a rough edge knocked off by somebody? Yeah. I, uh, I've, I've shared this story before, but it's been a few years, and some of you have come in the meantime, and others of you have slept since then. Uh, but when I was in Zimbabwe, uh, the last few months we were there, uh, there was a situation that came up. Uh, Kirk Devaney, a number of you know Kirk Devaney, he and his uh, family were, were planning to come and teach in the Bible school. And I knew that they were going gangbusters. I mean, they were selling everything. They were making plans. They had it all together. They were, they, they were, they were doing their part. Nothing much was being done on the other end, which really needed to happen. That was essential to get them in the country and work permits and all that business. And, and I finally got agitated about it. And uh, I finally went, I've got to go talk to, I've got to go talk to Baba Goody about this. I've got to go. Uh, talk to Ezekiel Goody because what he says is going to go. And so I went to I went to see him, set up an appointment. I went to see him, and you know, and after the initial niceties, you know, uh, how are you? How is the family? How um, uh, how are things going? Um, I got down to business, you know, and I and I let him know, hey, look, this isn't right because this guy is he's he's sacrificing, he's making plans. Um, he's doing things that are going to be irreversible and we're not doing anything over here to get ready for him to come. And that's just not right. We can't do that. And I'll never forget, uh, Baba Goody hitting, slapping that table and going, you have bad spirit. Whoa, because it hit me. I did. I did have a bad spirit. And I actually, I mean, I actually got down on my knees and repented. It's kind of an African thing. It wouldn't hurt for it to be an American thing, but it was an African thing. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, said, Baba, I'm sorry, you know, I'm, I'm wrong. And, and here's the thing, what he taught me, what, what I learned that day was made me aware that the spirit I bring into a situation is every bit as important, perhaps even more important than the information I bring into a situation. And we're always just so full of our information that we're bringing to a situation that we often just ignore the fact that we may have bad spirit. And that's just as important, perhaps even more important than the information. Uh, one other thing, a little kinder and gentler, and I've, I've shared this too, but it also bears, it might help somebody. When I was in elementary school, we would have these um, talent shows, and my mom always wanted me to be in the talent show. Uh, I didn't want to be because I'm nervous and stuff, but I wanted to be in a talent show. She put me in these talent shows, and you know, I never win. It was always a combo. You know, it was somebody with electric guitar and drums. They would always win, but... Uh, uh, the judges didn't know anything. And, and uh, so, so we do this, this uh, talent show. And I remember one very clearly, because I'd, I'd done the talent show, and uh, I was walking down the hall with my dad, and this girl from our class came up. And I don't, know, I don't remember what grade I was in, but it was a grade where girls all still had cooties, if you, if you, if you know about that. And this one in particular had cooties. And uh, she came up to me and she said, you did so good. And I said, I know. Because I didn't know what to say. 
I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what, I, you know, I didn't want anybody to think I like, liked this girl, so I didn't want to get in a conversation or anything. And I just said, I know, and walked on. And my dad, as we were walking down the hall, goes, you just say thank you. <laughs> oh, that changed my life. It made life so much easier. And just, no, you just say thank you. And, and you go on. Usually people can't speak into our lives this way unless we let them get close enough to us to actually speak in our lives. And they for sure can't speak into our lives if they're not there. Being there is the big part of it. And so, yeah, uh, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another if, if we'll let them. So we need people. Uh, secondly, over in Ecclesiastes, it says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And yeah, I mean, you know, if you're walking down the street and somebody attacks you, it'd be good to have somebody with you to, to help fight them off. But that's not really the main thing that's about. It's not about, you know, if you get mugged somewhere. Because you do get mugged almost every day. I mean, the slings and arrows of misfortune come, the, uh, of undue criticism come into our lives, of, of, of illness, of discouragement, of doubt, of fear. Those, those things attack us on a very frequent basis. How many times Margaret and I talked one another off the ledge? I have no idea. How I, I promise you I would not be still in the ministry, much less pastoring this church, had I not had Margaret on certain days to go, it's going to be all right. You don't want to do that. You know, they will put you in jail. <laughs> put fresh heart into each other. You need, you need people I mean, to put fresh heart into you, to, um, to speak encouragement into your life, to, to, sometimes to help you have vision when you've got nothing, when, when you can't see anything out there. You need somebody who can go, I can see that for you. I, I believe you can go there. It's an important thing. And it's not, you know, just, just us. I mean, Paul. The Apostle Paul needed this. He, he was writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, and he said, when I was in Macedonia, it wasn't going very well. Things, things were rough at that point in time. We had no rest. Uh, I, was, I was harassed at every turn. I was conflicts on the outside, fears within. I don't know if you can relate to any of that. No rest, harassment, conflicts, fears. Paul could. He said, but... You know what? God, who comforts the downcast, comforted me, and he didn't put a period there, by the coming of Titus. He sent somebody into my life to be a conduit of grace, to flow comfort and strength and encouragement into my life. And so, you know, we need people. We need people for that. And then the third point in this excellent 
excellently crafted first point. Second Corinthians 13, uh, 1, 3 through 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received. I thought he comforted me just because I needed it. Well, you need it. But there's more to the story than that. We we don't just receive from others. We need others so that we can give. We need others so that we can give. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than receive, and it really is. You know, Kevin was talking about uh, doing those boxes with his with his girls, and and how gratifying it was to see them to be able to focus on that. I, you know, when I was when I was little, when I was a uh, well twenty, uh, I always. <laughs> You know, I was, was going, well, what am I going to get? You know, I want, what's the present that I'm going to get this year and everything. But as I, as I, uh, somewhere, somewhere it happened. Somewhere I actually became somewhat mature and began to discover the absolute joy of seeing somebody open what I gave them. Seeing, seeing something that I did in somebody's life actually make a difference, a positive difference. Something good. You were not created to be a reservoir. None of us were created to be a reservoir. Uh, one of the problems that I have with, with some of the, the, the teaching that goes on these days in, in the church uh, is when it's, when it's all about what you can have, you know, you can get, you, you, you need this and, and you, you can have that. All you got to do is just reach out and take. When the focus is, what I'm going to get, the focus is already all messed up. It's all wrong. You know, you, 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 got, you got issues in your life. Well, the issues aren't solved by you getting more stuff. The issues are solved by you turning out and helping somebody else solve their issues. That's, that's, what, that's, how, that, that's how that works. You were created to be a stream of conduit of of comfort, of resources, of mercy, of, uh, of love, of God's grace. Above all else, conduit of love. Okay, second section of, of, this, uh, of this sermon. Most important relationship that comes into your life if this relationship comes into your life. I know it's not uh, one that everybody has. In fact, it's not one I have right now. But the most important is marriage. And so I want to spend a few minutes talking about that. Uh, I did a wedding yesterday, and you may think, oh, yeah, well, you did this wedding, and you got this ready for this so that you wouldn't have to prepare a third of your sermon. Now, I did the sermon first, and then I realized, whoa, I don't have to prepare everything I got to say for this wedding. You know, I can just, <laughs> I can just kind of move this, uh, move this over. That's how, that's how that works. Uh, it's the most important human relationship. It's, uh, it's, it's ordained of God. It's the most ancient institution in the world before governments, before the church, before commerce, before anything else. Marriage was, was something that, that God created. And it's, uh, uh, it, it requires now, you know, legally it doesn't necessarily require this anymore, but it, but it should. I mean, f- from where we're coming from, it requires uh, 
sacred vows taken before a holy God to, to actually enter. This is, this is serious stuff here. Uh, marriage isn't for, 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 for cowards and, and it isn't for weak people. It's not how you get yourself strong. No, you need to be strong going into this thing. Uh, it's not a business uh, partnership or proposition. Uh, there are very defined roles in marriage. And uh, so, so let's just go there because, I mean, God, God created us and he understands us and he knows how we are and vive la difference and all, all that stuff. Uh, but Ephesians 5, 21 through, through 33 lays out the guidelines for Christian marriage. And, and the entire topic is covered by, uh, at the very beginning, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's, that's where it starts. That's the, that's the beginning point for marriage. And it keeps, if, 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 if that remains in focus, then it keeps the rest of this stuff from getting weird because it can get weird otherwise. Uh, this is a perfect world I'm getting ready to describe. And uh, nobody, nobody gets 100 on this test, okay? Uh, Margaret and I, I, I would say probably got about a 97, 98, which is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, Margaret got a 99, I got a 95, we average out at 97, uh, something, something like that. Uh, but the, the instructions are simplicity themselves. Wives are, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, uh, some translations, some older translations would say obey your husbands. And uh, a lot of times, uh, especially in this culture, in this day and age, uh, some people have, have problems with that. And I can see why they would. You know, uh, words change and, and context and uh, um, changes in, in cultural situations. Uh, when I do wedding vows, I didn't, actually, I didn't actually recite the vows to these, this couple yesterday because they each brought a booklet that they read to each other. Uh, it, was, it was nice. It was a booklet, though. And, uh, but when I, when I do, uh, you know, unless I'm specifically instructed to do so, uh, when, I, when I ask the intentions of the, uh, of the bride, I don't say uh, love, honor, and obey. And I don't say love, honor, and submit. I say love, honor, and stand beside. Walk with. Because I think that's really what this is trying to say. You know, it's not like, okay, you're my wife now. Bring me a burger, woman. Fetch. <laughs> Says obey here. Because, yeah. I mean, if that happened, that's not a big deal. You got a burger. What you need is somebody who's going to stand with you when everybody else is deserting you. What you, what, you, what you need is somebody who's going, you know is going to go there with you. That's what you need. And this is all under the, the heading, of course, of submitting to Christ. And, and submitting is not hard to do when the husband actually does his job, which is also pretty clearly described. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, all you have to do is love your wife to the point of death. 
That's all you have to do. And, and if you do that, then, you, you know, I, uh, over the years, obviously, I've, I've dealt with a lot of marriage situations and seen a lot of marriage situations happen. Uh, I've never yet seen a, situ- a marriage that was in trouble where the husband truly loved his wife and knew how to do it. Now, you know, I mean, I've seen a situation or two where maybe he learned after the fact, but, you know, in in that, you know, and and I'm sure it happens, but I haven't seen it happen. Uh, And it simply means place her in front of you. Put put her ahead of you. And and the results are, uh, you see, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. When God created us, uh, marriage couldn't be a democracy. Oh, how many of you have ever been married? How many of you have ever disagreed with the person you were married with? Okay. That's why it can't be a democracy. Because it's a one-to-one vote. You know, and the only way you can make this a democracy is if you start keeping score and love keeps no record of wrongs. So you can either kill the love and keep score, or you can do what God said. And God, it's his prerogative. He, he declared a decision maker. And you know what? He didn't, he didn't go, you know what? It's going to be the husband because he's the smartest. Often wives are smarter than their husbands. You may be sitting next to one. But they aren't a decision maker. Now, a smart man will appreciate the fact that he's got a smart wife. You know, uh, I'm kind of getting off track here, but I'm going to go ahead and get off track. When, When Margaret and I got married, she made a whole lot more money than me. Yes. Exactly. She made a whole lot more money than me. And after a couple of years, I, I, that kind of got to me. And I, and I was complaining to God about it. And he said, are you an idiot? <laughs> you know, I've given you this beautiful woman and she loves you with all of her heart and she's making a lot of money. What do you want me to do? And if he's, if he's given you a, a wife who's got wisdom, what do you want him to do? I'll tell you what he wants you to do. Listen. Listen. And when, and when I said, uh, you know, that I, that I probably, I, I, I don't know what, it's hard to grade yourself because you're just going to grade yourself too high. And I don't know if God's going to hand out scorecards when we get there or not. But, you know, if he does, I think I did, I think I did pretty well. But here's, what, here's, here's the deal. When I, there were a few, there were four or five times that uh, Margaret and I disagreed about things. Uh, did I say four or five? Four or five thousand times that Margaret and I <laughs> disagreed about things. Uh, there were four or five times that I decided, we're, no, we're going to do what I. But every one of those times, by God's grace, I, I believe were times when I truly felt in my heart, this is what's best for our family. This is what's best. And I really tried to not ever make that decision based on what do I want? What's going to be best for me? 
because that messes every that messes everything up. And what, but when when this when this thing is happening right, it, it creates a positive feedback spiral. It creates the more he loves her, the the more she's able to 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 walk with it and trust him, and the more she trusts him, the you know the the more confident he becomes and the more he's able to love her and the more she's able to trust him. It just, because God knows what he's doing. He fixed this thing right. Okay, section three. How you treat people reveals what you think about God. 1 John 4.20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. I've put this up here before. In fact, it may have been recent. But, uh, you know, sometimes we have to see something more than once for it to kind of sink in here. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister. Uh, you know, I, I think sometimes we, we tend to think, well, I love most everybody. It's just that one over there. Well, that's the A brother. The A sister. Well, who is my brother? You know, I was the only child. <laughs> I don't have anything to worry about. Uh, no. Yeah. Look around. And, and if, it, if it looks male, it's a brother. If it looks female, it's a sister. And yours. Yours. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, no, you don't, you're, you're, you're not responsible for everything in their life, but you're responsible for them. You're responsible to them. God brings someone into your life. And it doesn't say that whoever does not love a brother or sister uh, whom they have seen may not love God whom they have not seen. It's just they cannot. Cannot. I just, just reading the scripture. That's all we're doing here. You know, Steve Spurrier, when he'd get a big lead against Tennessee, yeah, you know, he... <laughs> He, you know, he'd always say, oh, we're just, we're, just, we're, just playing, we're just playing ball. We're just throwing and catching. We're just playing balls. All we're, we're just reading the scripture. That's all we're doing, you know. And then over in Matthew 25, 40, I mean, a lot of you are familiar with this. The king, Jesus is speaking. The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And there's another group to whom he says, whatever you didn't do for them, you didn't do for me. We tend to want to do for others if they are worthy of our doing. Well, my question is, is Christ worthy? Because that's who you're doing for. That's who you're dealing with when you're dealing with someone else. We aren't talking about big stuff here. I mean, I, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, you, know you got to drain your bank account and give it to Fred Jones. I don't know what he'd do with it. But I knew he would say hallelujah when I, when I, when I said that, and then he just did. You know, I'm not, I'm not talking about that necessarily. I'm talking about little stuff. I'm talking about extending 
dignity. I'm talking about turning off your cell phone when you come to church. Oh, I got a call during the wedding yesterday, but, but it, it was on uh, vibrate, so it was good. I just thought, no, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm talking about extending dignity. I'm talking about extending mercy. I'm talking about, you know, small graces. Jesus says, whoever's faithful in little, it's going to be faithful in much. And often, sometimes we do something big to try and make up for all the little we didn't do. But it doesn't work that way. Uh, a big hit can't make up for all the little misses. Not in this. We're, we're getting uh, ready to do Christmas Carol. Uh, uh, Spring House Theater is in December. And probably my favorite character in Christmas Carol is Marley. Because uh, he's, he's got all these great speeches. And... Uh, Maybe one of one of the great speeches is this. Uh, he's he's bemoaning what his life was like, and Scrooge says, "Well, you were always a good man of business." This is business. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, benevolence were all my business. The dealings in my trade, what I did at work, were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. It's not just Marley. What you do at work, in terms of work, is but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of the business of life. The real business is mercy, forbearance. Justice, benevolence, kindness. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. There's so much freedom in this verse. You know, if you can, if whenever you hold... A, Whenever you hold on, to, as Christ forgave you, whenever you hold on to unforgiveness with somebody, then what? it's not that Christ hasn't forgiven you, but you can't feel it. You don't feel forgiven until you extend it to somebody else. And then you begin to go, oh, and what a way to live. Every uh, every. A few years, I always I circle this uh, this C.S. Lewis quote back around, and the time has come to circle it back around again. It's from uh, a sermon he delivered called "The Weight of Glory." It says this: "It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which you would be strongly tempted to worship." or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet only in a nightmare. You know, when, you, when, you, when you're dealing with people, what you're seeing is just right now. They're going somewhere. How many of you have ever been to a class reunion? <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
at, at, at 10, you know, you kind of go, well, that's surprising. You know, I, nobody paid any attention to him, and he's the one in the Lamborghini, you know, driving up here. Or, you know, wow, I thought she was, I thought, I thought she was hot. Can I use that word? Yeah. I, I just did. Uh, <laughs> but that was 10 years ago, you know, and I thought she had cooties, but no, she didn't. Uh, and then, uh, but 20, 30, 50 year reunion, let me tell you, people change. And we're all changing and we're going to a destiny beyond anything that either one of us can, any of us can imagine one direction or another. And he goes on to say, all day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. The things we think are a big deal, they're mortal. The the people that we deal with, that's the big deal. And, and you're, you're nudging them in one direction or another. And, and the power of a nudge is, is, is incredible. You know, if you, if you left Nashville and you tried to go to Los Angeles and you were off one degree at the beginning, you, know, you, you would either end up somewhere in Northern California or Mexico, depending on which, which degree you were off, one degree. And every encounter that we have with someone is nudging them in one direction or another, and ultimately it makes a big difference. I had a um, high school friend um, who posted something on, on an Instagram post I, I did this, this last week. He had, been, he had been following me, and I didn't really remember him very well. I mean, I remembered his name, but I didn't re- remember him really well. And, uh, uh, and I wondered, why is he following me? Uh, you know, I, he, he basically likes everything and, and all this and he, and he did a post uh, yesterday that I went, oh. He said, uh, back when we were playing football, and I didn't really remember even that he was necessarily on the team. I remembered him from the class, but he said, back when we were playing football, before, before each game, you'd want to you'd lead everybody in a prayer. And he said, uh, you know, we were all fired up. We were ready to go. And I was kind of going, why is that guy doing that? And he said, you know, about three years after I got out of out of high school, I went to church one time on a dare, and the Holy Ghost just came and showed up and totally changed my life. Now, this is 50 years later. And he said, you know, thank you for leading those prayers. And I went, wow. Nudge. A nudge. And then he closes out by saying this, but it is immortals with whom, whom we joke with, Work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors are everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. Oh, yes, we must. But our merriment must be of that kind which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. 